Um, so no, actually, this is about the this is the third uh, session of a um, a series we are doing here at Vertigo for. Uh, by the way, let me just put in a plug for our sponsor. This is being done live at CCIC South Valley. Uh, at the, the best of the CCIC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's considered by some to be the best of the, <laughs> of the CCIC. And, uh, and uh, we have a nice crowd today. Yeah. <laughs> Just edit out the delay. A truly Fine. live audience here. So anyway, I'm, well, I think they're alive. Now, do you notice how? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's supposed to be spontaneous. We need, yeah, we need a laugh track here. You know. <laughs> okay. So what we've been doing, uh, for those of you who are new, <laughs> we've been talking about uh, Christian spirituality, which um, seems a pretty general topic, but what uh, the, the, the theme or the premise of the whole thing is that Christian spirituality is about is relational, relational spirituality. I mean, after all, if God is love, then um, then everything, every interaction we have with God will be relational in character. And um, if you take that idea of God uh, being essentially relational, even in his own nature, uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in uh, constant, uh, you know, relational interaction with one another. And then you take the fact that he invites us uh, into the life of the Trinity, which we see at, uh, especially among other places, especially in John 17. Um, then you come up, come up with the idea that our job is, as Christians is to relate to God all the time, to have an interactive relationship with God uh, moment by moment. And not only is it something we can do, but it, it, it's, it's God has offered that to us. God has offered to be our constant companion, our shield and protector, our great reward, um, to take us, we can take him wherever we go. We can depend on him in all circumstances. We can come to him in every, uh, uh, at every need. And, and the thing about it is, uh, because it's a relationship, God doesn't um, kind of bash his way into our lives. We, uh, he invites us in, and as we, as we open ourselves up to him um, more and more, he comes in more and more. We have all of God. That is, God gives all of himself to us through his spirit. But we experience him more and more as we open our lives up to him more and more. Which, by the way, is what relationships are. A relationship is mutual opening and uh, revealing yourself. So God reveals himself to us through Christ and through his spirit. And then we reveal ourselves to him by by telling him what's on our mind, uh, by praying, by asking for our needs. Well, we're going to talk about this some, uh, about exactly what constitutes that. Um, but I want to make one more point before I kind of throw it open to Edwin here. <laughs> and that's that Christian spirituality is not self-help. So many people uh, are, are sort of thinking, well, we're really talking about finding 
uh, a way to make our lives better, you know, 10 steps to have a more abundant life or 10 steps to make sure that God uh, is, is, you know, does everything for you. I don't know. I, I can think of a number of different phrases like that. One that comes to mind um, is the, um, is the, it's sort of popular. It's emotionally healthy spirituality. And I, I looked into that a little bit. I'm not a, I know that it's fairly popular. And the idea there seems to be to, um, uh, I don't want to say, I want to say use, use this uh, various spiritual practices and so on to uh, kind of take, to be, um, What's the word? Emotionally healthy, uh, uh, because many people who are leaders or who you know are involved with church or whatever become very uh, stressed and pressured and so on and so forth. And that may all that may be well and good, but I don't think my contention is that we don't go to God for that reason. Which may sound, I, I'm not saying that God won't do that for us, but it's kind of like, you know, Ed, Edwin here is my son-in-law, and he, I, I consider him a friend. So I, I, let's say I just think, okay, every week we meet, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to meet with Ed every week because he really makes me feel better about myself, right? Well, it's true, he does, but is that why I meet with him? I mean, I meet with him to interact with him because I, you know, I love Edwin and and he's meant a lot to me. And we have this thing where we are, honestly, there there is some asymmetry here because I, I always go expecting to listen to him and ask him what he's up to and so on, and then I end up talking <laughs> most of the time. It's kind of embarrassing to be honest. Uh, I think he does it on purpose. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make here is I don't go to meet with him so that I, that I can, essentially so I can get something out of it. I mean, I do get something out of it, but I meet with him because we have this relationship and we're, we're, we're learning about one another and we're, we're both growing as people because of our interaction with one another. And uh, we help each other. But that's, it's the relationship that matters. And those things are like side effects. It's all side effect. Good side effects. But like when you're with God. So when you're with God, you know, all these things happen. God meets your needs and God, you know, blesses you and all this stuff. But like a relation, a real relationship, which is the prototype relationship, God, you don't go to God so he'll do all those things. You go to God so you can get to know God, you know, just like a friend. All right, yeah. so having said that, sure. let's see what Ed has Good, to I have say thoughts. I, I wasn't sure if I would have thoughts. Okay, um, no, I, I think uh, what you're talking about basically is uh, loving God for God's sake in some sense. And so rather than the emphasis being on ourselves or thinking about what we can get or how God is improving our lives, and we're basically the center and we want God to revolve around us, which, is still okay <laughs> in a sense, but, um, because God's gracious, but ultimately it's kind of like loving God for, 
for God's sake in some sense. And uh, I think the analogy I think of a little bit is like if you've been in love before, right? Like if you've really been in love before, you want to be around that person. And yes, they do make you feel good, but you just, why do you want to be around that with that person? It's almost like you can't explain it, right? Like people usually rationalize it and they explain it. Oh, this person makes me feel this, or there's always some explanation. But the truth is, it's just something about being around that person. And you just always want to be around them, right? Especially in the early stages, right? When you're in love, right? Um, I think it would be dysfunctional in a sense <laughs> if you, you know, got married to somebody and you're like, oh, okay, I want to be with Eleanor, I want to be with my wife, but only because she does X, Y, or Z for me, right? Like, well, what happens if she stops doing X, Y, or Z for me, right? Then, of course, it, it kind of loses its value in some sense, right? And so that would be a kind of dysfunctional relationship, which a lot of people have with God, right? Um, I think with God, it's even more complicated and it's, there's, there's a lot of barriers to what Fred is describing. Like the idea of this kind of like very pure, honest desire to be with him. Um, you know, as you're, as you're talking in the beginning, I was thinking like, yeah, like that is, you are describing what I find valuable about God or about relationship with God. Like, I, I think it's just the most valuable thing that I have, period. Uh, and I know this, like meaning I, when I think about my days or I think about <clears throat> how tired I am or how busy I am or whatever is going on in my life, like the, the knowledge of knowing that God is with me through that, regardless of whether, I, I, honestly, when I say that to you, I have no, I don't care <laughs> if God helps me at all. It's just the fact that he's there with me. It means everything. Uh, it, it makes all the difference. And, and when I think about that, <clears throat> I realize too, like, in church, a lot of times, the, just like all the barriers, right? So in church, I think like, oh, we hear that kind of all the time. Like on some level, you hear these phrases about, oh, God loves you and God's there for you. And you hear that all the time without any, <laughs> sometimes without any emotion, <laughs> sometimes without any sense of what that physically looks like. Like, especially when you hear someone else talk, like when, when you hear me say that, like, some of you may be able to be like, oh yeah, like I had this experience one time in my relationship with God, so I can kind of like relate to that. But a lot of people I think also just be like, okay, that's cool, like that's cool for you. Don't really know what that means. Like what does that tangibly mean that God is with you and that's important to you? Like, and it's hard, it's hard to, for me even to explain that, right? Like when I explain that, it's hard for me to like, it's, it's like how do I explain my relationship with my wife, right? Like how do I explain how I love her and how she makes me feel? Like, I can try, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's like very, it's cloudy. And then on top of all that, so you hear it all the time and sometimes it has functionally no meaning. And then also like you were mentioning, um, a lot of times it's very easy because God is not physically here and because we can't see him physically. Then a lot of times we equate whatever we're talking about <laughs> or relationship with God with doing things related to God. So it'd be, like, it'd be like spending time with Eleanor versus um, doing stuff around the house when she's physically there. <laughs> like I could do stuff around the house, even for her, right? Like clean up, stuff like that, take care of the kids, and literally never talk to her. Like that's technically possible, right? Um, I, could do, I could live my life <laughs> for her and yet never interact with her. Like that's technically possible. Um, 
hopefully it doesn't because I see her <laughs> and she's physical and therefore, you know, like hopefully she initiates with me and I initiate with her. But with God, it's like, it's harder, right? Because he's not physically there. And so it's very easy sometimes for us to equate like, oh, like relationship with God is reading the Bible. Relationship with God is going to church. Relationship with God is coming to Vertigo or whatever it is, right? And we just assume that we're in the presence and we talk about God or we share about God or we hear things about God. Therefore, we are in relationship with God. But then like, how come I don't feel any emotion? Well, if you imagine, if I'm doing all these things for Eleanor, but I'm never talking to her, I'm never engaging with her, I'm never listening to her or like actually experiencing her, I'm probably not gonna have any emotion, right? I'm just doing stuff. And I think that's the other unfortunate barrier is that there's all this stuff that we somehow implicitly equate, like that all equals relationship. When in reality, it's possible, and this is I think what happened with Pharisees too, right? Like they did all these things, um, it's that famous Matthew 7 passage, right? Like, I cast out demons in your name. And then God's like, I never knew you, <laughs> right? It's like possible that we get wrapped up in all these things, assuming that relationship is happening when in reality, we're just doing stuff. So if you think about the Matthew 20 passage with Mar Mary and Martha, uh, how many of you are familiar with that? Um, Jesus comes to, or Martha invites Jesus over. And so um, Martha's out there cooking the food, you know, cleaning or whatever all she's doing, hustling and bustling like, you know, your typical uh, um, hostess. Um, do you ever, have you ever had dinners where, uh, like, like with, with me and my wife, um, we sometimes will have people over for dinner, and it's really hard to get my wife to sit down and eat the dinner with us. She's always doing something. I'm saying, come on, just sit down and eat the dinner. Well, that was Martha. And, and then what happened was Martha saw Mary sitting in there listening to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, she's sitting there listening to you. She's not helping. Tell her to help. And Jesus said, Martha, you know, you've got it all wrong. You're, you're, all, you're, you're doing so much stuff, but you're missing the one thing that really matters, which is me. You, you invited me here, you know? I mean, and yet you're going to do all this stuff and never, never talk with me, listen to me, you know? It's kind of paradoxical that you would think, okay, I'm going to do all this stuff, but not actually relate to you, you know? And so you think of your church. Um, do you, I, I, I put it this way. Do you have a Martha church or a Mary church, you know? Do you, when you go to church, is it all about this, that, and the other thing that you're doing? Uh, programs, uh, you, know, you know, working um, to do one, one thing or another, and you're so frazzled that you think, oh man, I have to go to church, oh no, oh no, you know, you're so, you're so stressed out. Or do you feel like your church is where you go to listen to Jesus, you know? Uh, you know that now a lot of this sounds kind of vague. All right, let me. I, there's a point I want to make from kind of what you were saying. You, the stuff we're talking about, where we're saying, okay, we're we're relating to God for His own sake, right? That sounds really spiritual, right? It sounds, oh yeah, we're so spiritual. And but you know, um, there's, there's something that C.S. Lewis said that I really like. He says, the highest does not stand without the lowest. Jesus told us when we pray, we ask for our daily bread, okay? And um, so, in other words, 
how do you start to get to know God in the first place? Well, you start to, you know, interact with him about the stuff that really matters to you. Like, what am I going to eat today, for example? You know, or uh, my first prayer, the first prayer that I got, that got answered was um, I'd been a Christian for about two weeks and I was working on a math problem. And I'd been working on this math. It was AP statistics. Okay, so that, that'll tell you something. Uh, I was working on this problem. I mean, it's one of these, you know, the homework is like four problems that take you four hours, right? You know, so anyway, I'd gotten all the other problems done, but that one problem was kicking my butt. And I worked on it, I worked on it, worked on it. I tried everything I could think of. I even tried stuff I wasn't supposed to try, like calculus. I knew it didn't take calculus, but I tried calculus. Anyway, I was trying everything. And I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. And I had this, I mean, as a new Christian, brand new Christian, I had this niggling little voice in the back of my mind saying, pray about it, pray about it. And I said to myself, no, I want to do it myself. I don't know why I said that. But I said, I want to do it myself. And then, you know, it was around 11 o'clock. I was tired. You know, the problem was tired. We're both tired. Anyway, so I said, okay, okay, I'm going to pray about it. So I closed my eyes, said, Lord, help me get this math problem. Opened my eyes and saw how to do it. It was just like that. Well, that was my first experience of having a prayer answered. And it was very much, you know, this is what I'm trying to do is work on this math problem. God helped me with that. And I, I really felt like I learned something about God there, you know. Now, it obviously, I, I hadn't really gotten to experience what it meant to, 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 to come to God for his own sake. I came to him because I needed help with the math pro problem, you know. But it was a start. And this is why I would, I would say Jesus asks us to pray for our daily bread. Because then we start to experience God in our lives in some fashion, right? Now, um, what we see as we go along, we, um, we start to realize that God is present with us at all times. God, not only is God the one who is going to help us, but he's the one who is a delight, a delight to us. We delight in him and he delights in us. And one of my uh, favorite experiences the past few years has been sitting out on my back porch um, reading um, theology books. And I, like, I would not even ask anyone in this room except maybe Edwin and my son to read these books, but I will read, I read these books and get chills up my spine because it gives me this, this idea of God and who he is and what he's like, you know? And I mean, it's hard to even describe, but to me, I wouldn't, I'm not saying, you know, I'm a super spiritual person. I mean, I have my ups and downs and, you know, but I feel like at that moment, at that moment, I'm, the only reason I'm there is to enjoy God. You know, it, and I'm enjoying him at an intellectual level and an emotional level, but I'm enjoying him. I mean, what what good is reading a theology book going to do? Am I going to make more money because of that? No, I mean, maybe I'll make less money, right? You know, it's a distraction from, you know, what you might call the useful things in the world. You know, the old saying, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good, right? But to me, 
I have come to know God in such a way that I just feel a joy and delight to know what he's like at, at, this, at this level, you know? And I honestly believe that he feels the same way toward us. You read certain parts in the Bible. For example, last week I told you about this, uh, this Psalm 91 where God says, because he has loved me. And by that word love there, the Hebrew word is, uh, is not, not the kind of love that ordinarily, it, it's a different word for love. It means to attach. I, I was actually, anyway, it, it means to attach. So because he has attached to me, this is God talking, therefore I will deliver him. Um, I, I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. When he calls upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, you know. Uh, I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him. So you hear God saying this about the person who has clung on to him. Someone clings on to God, right? Like, you know, do you ever have those kind of friends who just glom onto you, you know, and you think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this person? You know, uh, excuse me, can I have a little personal space here? But, but God, God loves it when we do that, when we cling to him, you know? And, and as a result, he just gets all, you know, he, he delights in it and says, okay, I'm all for you. I'm going to do all this stuff for you because you have, a, you have attached to me in love. You know, so to me, you know, and anyone can do that. You just hang on to God. You know, that's what Jesus says. Abide in me. Abide in me and it'll, you'll make it all the way home. You know, just don't let go. Whatever you do, don't let go, you know. Uh, and so this, I think, is sort of fundamental to uh, is hanging on to God hang, and seeing him as someone who it's worth hanging hanging on to okay yeah i mean as you're talking you know the truth is i feel like i have no idea where that desire comes from so on, on some level like you know you're talking about you know even in your example of like wanting to pray about the math problem and then initially not having the desire or when i just think about in general you know um i could imagine a person hearing these stories and being like okay that that sounds good but i don't care <laughs> or like I don't necessarily have that desire right um, and on some level you know I don't know on some level it's it's a supernatural thing I know that it starts with God in other words I know that God initiates like we love because he loved us right um, and so what you're saying about the clinging and all that like I imagine God obviously showing that to us first and that is what sparks it I, and I believe that that's true in my own life um, but on some level it's like trying to explain attraction, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're, you, you, you're attracted to somebody, like comes out of nowhere. <laughs> like you can try to create a profile of who you're attracted to or whatever, but you always find the person that doesn't meet any of those things and somehow you're attracted to them, right? It's like, it's like I don't know, like it, it, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly. And, and, I, and maybe that's on purpose in a sense of like, everybody's relationship with God it kind of has its own path or it has its own, you know, story or its own, you know, every person is different and, and the way in which God meets them and the way in which they relate to God might, be, might also be somewhat different. I think that there are similarities, certainly. 
Um, and I think what you said also about clinging, right? I do think there's an aspect to that where it's like, if you believe that this is true, right? Like, so if like when you read the Bible and then you, you take it seriously and you say like, oh, like it says in the Bible, like that God loves me. Or if I abide, abide in his love that I'll, you know, like there's some, there are like promises or statements of truth. And it's like, if you really say, okay, that's true. And you, you write it out, you know what I mean? Like you, you almost force, not force, you test. <laughs> you say, God, you said that this is true. Is it really true? Like you say you love me. Is that really true? Do I really know that? Um, do I experience that? You know, you say you're my shepherd and I won't, I won't want. Is that really true? Like, I mean, I don't know. Most of us have wants. <laughs> but like, you know, like things like that where I feel like there is some, it, there's a lot to be worked out a lot. In, in, many, in many people's actual experience with that relationship. It's like, it's like there's so much in our life usually that has come into that relationship that makes it somehow dysfunctional. You know what I mean? So it's like almost like you need the body, you need the Bible, you need help to like learn how to work through those dysfunctions. Because a lot of times um, there are things that we do that we don't even realize that we're doing that prevent us, I guess, from fully experiencing and, and having that desire and so on and so forth. So I just think that, but I think that, you know, this idea that in, at the end of the day, it's like, you really see it as, I mean, for me, <laughs> I think of it as the truth. Like, I think of it as like, if I really believe that this is true, like God made the world and then like he made all of us and like he wants to have a relationship with me. If I really think about it and say that that's what I believe, then that will define my life. <laughs> and it, went, it doesn't mean that I always live by that. In other words, there are many times when I'll make mistakes, I'll forget that, I'll live by the world or live by other things. But when I'm in my right mind, so to speak, I'm always gonna come back to that reality, which is like, no matter how I felt in this moment or no matter what I did in that moment, like at the end of the day, I know like, well, in the end, it's gotta be about God because I supposedly believe this is true. <laughs> so. If it feels like, at least for me, it's that coming back and wrestling in some sense, and then taking it in some sense for real, as if it's a real relationship that God is basically inviting you into. You know what I mean? And, and, I, I, and I kind of believe that through that process, and it could be up and down, it could be lots of questions, lot, you know, in, in, in Fred's example, I, you know, I feel like the, those, we, we had a discussion two weeks ago, so, so he knows what I think. But, but in his example, it's just this, like this beautiful picture. It's like, I prayed for this, and it came. <laughs> and like, now like, I have all the faith in the world. Like, for every story that's like that, there's, I would argue, 9,999 other stories that are exactly the opposite. He never got enough from <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just like, you, you hear stories of people who, who leave the faith because, you know, they pray and then it doesn't happen, right? And so, like, uh, you know, what is that, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, on some level, it's, like, unexplainable. On some level, right? Um, you know, we talked about it, though. But, but I think that that's why, in some way, it's, like, what do you really believe? Are you willing to enter into the struggle of a relationship with this God? Because, you know, he may not always, for example, his values may differ from yours right? Like your values may be different from God's. And so it's like, 
do I want to marry this person <laughs> who has these very different values? Am I willing to submit to those values if I believe that God is the creator of everything and he made me? And he probably knows more than me because he's probably. an eternal being. Yeah, probably. I mean, honestly, most people don't think that they know more than God. That's the reality of most of our, I do too. Many times in my experiences, all the time, I think I know better than God. Like I would never say that because I know on a logical level, that is the dumbest thing to say, but that's the reality of my experience and the way I live. There's most, many of times I think that I know better. The reality is I don't, but, and usually he, he shows me <laughs> over time, but you know, that's the struggle in some sense, right? Like, I think that there's a lot to work out, you know, and, and that's usually, or I say that a lot of people have that experience or at some point in the relationship, you're forced to wrestle with some parts of the relationship. So yeah. even though I do believe, and I agree like with all those, the beautiful parts, you know, like the falling in love that like I, I experienced that as well. On the other hand, I'm also very aware that for most people, it's not that rosy and therefore the desire, it's hard to muster. You know, for a lot of people, there's so much dysfunction that exists in how they interpret or understand that relationship that there's no desire to be in it. You know what I mean? And so that requires some kind of repair or going back to the drawing board or re-understanding who God is or something that will help us um, draw close to him because I, I, yeah. it's hard, you know? Well, I... I I think there are a couple of uh, things to consider in, I mean, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. There are, there are moments in my life where I have, uh, <laughs> where I have prayed for things and it hasn't happened. And uh, uh, most of the time it's because there are other people involved or, you know, um, uh, and, or I don't know what I'm praying for. I mean, I had one instance where, I said I was praying to God about something, and it was like I heard almost like a voice from God saying, "What exactly are you praying for?" You know, and I thought about it, and I and I said, "I'm not really sure what I'm praying for." And so I finally came out and prayed for something very specific, and it happened. And I thought, "Is and it and it it was like wow, it was very painful and and caused me a lot of turmoil." And I said, was that what I was praying for? But, you know, um, the, so we don't always know what we're, we can, we can toss up, you know, you know, God, let this happen, let that happen. And, and it, and it'd be kind of uh, nonspecific. But then when we figure out exactly what we really are praying for, sometimes we realize I didn't really want that or, or it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. But I want to mention a couple of things. Um, first of all, the idea of grace. And we've, been, we've talked about grace before, and you've mentioned it. But um, we need to kind of understand um, uh, everything, everything we're talking about is based on grace. And grace is God's fixed intention to have a relationship with you. And that intention is... Um, is what's the word informed by your very worst moments if that if you know what I'm getting at it's kind of like if you have a friend and that friend has seen you at your worst and still is your friend you would think wow you know I can have a lot of confidence in this friendship you know well think that the you know that God Himself invites you into a relationship with Him, knowing you as you truly are, okay. And 
and God doesn't play mind games. He, he knows who you are. Uh, uh, and, and the thing is, he, he doesn't treat you. It's like, it's like uh, Hebrews quotes the Old Testament where it says, I will remember their sins no more. God does not treat your sins as the definitive story of who you are. In fact, God doesn't relate to you on the basis of your sins. He relates, relates to you on the basis of the fact that, um, that he has decided to love you and he bets that if that relationship continues and grows, everything will be fixed, okay? Now, understand that, understand, nothing always does that, understand that, um, um, we very we very often don't get grace. We don't get it. Grace is not fair. Grace, in fact, one a couple of parables in the in that Jesus tells basically highlight the unfairness of grace. You know, for example, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back and says, "Father, make me a hired servant." He doesn't even listen. He he puts the you know puts the robe, the ring, the sandals, and kills the fatted calf. Celebration time! My son's back. And then the older brother, who's been the good brother and all, always done the right thing, is say, "What is this? Right? This is just not fair." You know. Or then there's the 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 workers in the vineyard. You know the. He hires all these workers throughout the day, and then he pays them all the same. And the guys who worked the whole day said, what's going on here? That's not fair. And he says, hey, I'm just being generous. Does the fact that I'm generous make your eye evil? Do you see evil where, I, where I'm being generous? And so grace doesn't feel fair. I mean, there's a there's a story. There's some one of these serial killers, I think it's Jeffrey Dahmer or... or uh, got saved while he was in jail, um, just before he was murdered by a by another prisoner. But he got saved, and he said, "I believe I'm going to be in heaven." Is that fair? Here's a guy who killed and ate ate people, horrible, and yet he turned to Christ. Is that fair? What do you you tell me? Well, the point is, if he can be saved, <laughs> you know. I guess I can probably be saved too, right? You know? And so I can say, wow, you know, God can save even the most horrible people. Like Paul says, you know, uh, the God, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I mean, he went around killing Christians, you know? Well, what am I getting at here is we, we don't believe grace. We think we got to prove something to God, okay? And so, we're, and so there are two ways to approach this. You can say, okay, I want to know God because it's really cool to know God. He's the best friend you can have. And the more you know him, the more of a delight it is, the more of a joy it is. And maybe you don't know anything about that or you only know a little bit about that, but you would like to find out, okay? Or you can look at it as, I just got to try really hard because otherwise God's not going to like me. If I don't try hard to get to know him better, read the Bible better, pray more, I have to pray harder. You know, we, you have, in other words, performance versus partnership. You see, I guess that's a little cliche there, right? Are you trying to perform for God? Or are you trying to just be 
present with him. You see, if you're trying to perform, think about a friendship where you feel that your friend is always kind of judging you and evaluating you. Are you good enough for me? You know, and if you look at God that way, it's pressure, right? You're thinking, oh, God is always a value. So, so there's a book called uh, With, that's the name of the book, With, by a guy named Sky Jathani. And he was talking about how in his Sunday school class, he, asked, he went around and asked everybody, what do, they, what do you think God thinks about you? And every one of them, apparently, from what I remember, said, I think he's kind of disappointed in me. You know, so ask yourself, what do you think God thinks about you? How do you think God views you? Oh, I know I could do better. I'm not I'm not there yet. You know, and if I really, you know, tried harder or whatever, then then uh, I know I could please God more. Right. But if you have that view of God, you're, you're always kind of a little cringy. You know, you're thinking, oh, Hope he doesn't get too mad at me. And you wake up out of, out of bed and say, well, what am I going to do wrong today? You know, how am I going to sin today, right? And so you, you go through life trying to minimize your sinning, you know, what they call sin management, right? But grace means you walk with God, even knowing that even when you fall flat on your face, he's there to pick you up. And, and you know, as Psalm 103 says, he does not always chide. He doesn't always criticize you know, God is not there. You, you, you screwed up again. What's wrong with you? He doesn't do that. You know, he knows who we are. Right. So what I'm trying to get at here is if you have that view of, you know, it's like it's like, I guess um, I, I don't, you talked about the come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you more work to do. You know, I mean. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for yourselves. I, I can't quote it exactly, but you get the idea, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you rest. I'm not out there to make your lives harder. Your lives are hard enough. I am going to show you rest. And the rest is to walk with him. Okay. Um, uh, so those are the God. Okay. The first one is God knows who you are and initiates a relationship with you while you are at your worst. All right. And the other one is. You're not performing for God. You're not trying to measure up to some standard because the whole point of grace is you don't have to. Instead, you're just trying to be uh, to have a kind of presence with God. You lay yourself before God and, and seek his presence. It, relationships, again, well, it's a relationship. It's two people sitting there in each other's presence, ex you know, revealing themselves to each other, you know. Right? You get together with your friends and you talk. You, why bother? You know, why, why do you do all this talking for hours and hours, right? Well, it's fun. You get to know the other person. You get to know who they are, what they are, what's up with them, you know? And, and so that's what, what you're doing with God, only on, uh, you know, the deepest possible level. Yeah, I think one thing um, 
it's this idea, you know, where I was saying earlier, where does the desire come from, right? And uh, I think one thing is like that you're illustrating is that a lot of times, if we don't desire God, let's say, it's usually because we have some dysfunctional view of Him, right? Which is kind of what you're talking about, right? So like, whether it's you know based on grace or what we think He will, how He sees us or what He wants from us or something like that, um, I think that's a major part of it, right? So even going back to what you were saying earlier of uh, the, um, the Lord's Prayer and like asking for daily bread, right? Like the first part of the prayer is like, you know, Father in heaven, you know, hallowed be your name. Like that statement is a declaration of who God is and a recognition of his holiness or his set-apartness, right? Like his, how he's different as a father to us. And I think that is really, really important or something that... Um, I really do think, like, if I think back to my own experience, if there were times when I didn't desire God, it's probably because I have some misconception of who he is or what he, how he would respond to me, I guess, in a particular moment, right? Um, and so it's, it's weird, because at the same time, also, I think that requires, uh, that requires some level of humbleness, I think. Like, everything that you're saying about grace or... Um, a recognition of who God is. I do think that there is some need for us to take a lower position, <laughs> I guess. Like either either because we have to accept help or we can't judge the grace, like the examples you're kind of saying about the parables. Like we can't look at what God is doing and judge him for, you know, not being fair or something like that. Um, or we have to put aside maybe our own... Um, our own, our own logic, our own way of seeing, our own uh, interpretation of how God is and really like seek after who he is. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I think that that makes sense if you think about a relationship, right? Like it's impossible to really know a person <laughs> if we think we already know them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, oh gosh, no, I can't. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I, there's, there's a, I'm watching Better Call Saul and it's like, that's like the whole no, three seasons. <laughs> that's like literally three seasons of the entire story because it's like someone thinks he just has this guy figured out. And, uh, and I think that's the, but there's reality to that, our experience, right? Sometimes, I don't know if you have family members, it usually happens with family, I feel like, where it's like you have this preconceived notion because I've known this person since there are, you know, decades or whatever, right? And like that box makes it so that you can only see them from that from that perspective. And it's like, I think we have that with God a lot <laughs> where it's like, we only see God for whatever reason, because we have baggage, because we were told that when we were young, because of our experiences at church, because our parents were a certain way and they, you know, they, you know, subconsciously gave us that impression or whatever. Like, I think that just happens a lot. And so it requires some level of like, oh, maybe I don't know anything <laughs> about God, or maybe I don't, I, I have it wrong, or maybe I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming that he's this way, but maybe he would respond differently than I would expect. Um, and so I, I do think there's some level of uh, humbleness that has that can be a barrier, right? Which is why I think you know the Bible talks a lot about pride and like the problem of pride and things like that. It does feel like that's that's the thing that would prevent you know the Pharisees from recognizing Jesus, right? It's because they pretty much thought that they had God figured out, and so when Jesus didn't fit that mold, they're like, well, you can't be this can't be right, right? Well, when Jesus told parables, he told, it specifically says in Mark that he told parables so people wouldn't understand him. And uh, you think, what? Why would he tell things so people wouldn't understand, right? Well, 
think about it. Uh, it's it, there's a line in Men in Black where uh, uh, from Men in Black where he where uh, Tommy Lee Jones is car- what is it? He's K, right? K says to Will Smith's character J, he says, you know, 24 hours ago you knew that we were alone in the universe. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow, you know. And the point being, you know, our big problem, especially with regard to God, is what we already know. Uh, Jesus was always trying to get them to get away from what they already know. So he would tell them these these parables that they they couldn't understand so that they would ask him. They would ask him questions and they'd say, uh, uh, what what did you mean by this weird story about people throwing some guy who doesn't know how to doesn't know how to farm so he throws the seed all over the place? He just told this weird story about this guy throwing seed all over the place, and and you know it goes on the path the birds eat it it goes in the rocks and it grows fast and dies you know story of my life right now he grows fast and, and uh, grows in the thorns and nothing you know it tries to grow but there's too much going on there not enough room and then finally he gets some of it right and gets some nice you know nice what the heck is this all about you know and and then jesus explains he's but he also says to you is given the secrets of the kingdom uh, of heaven you know but to those outside, it's all in parables, so they won't understand. Because they can't assimilate it to what they already know if they don't understand it, you see. Because that's what we're all, you hear a sermon, you, right? I mean, almost every time I hear a sermon, I personally, I mean, I just do this. I, I judge it on the basis of what I already know. I've heard this kind of thing before, and this kind of goes along with that. So yes, yes, okay, okay. But if it's different, then all of a sudden all my red flags go up and say, wait, I never heard that before. Is this right? You know? And then I start thinking, well, that's actually, that could actually be a very good thing. It could also be you know, dangerous because it might be wrong. You know? But the point is Jesus, uh, it's, it's, there's a point um, C.S. Lewis again makes. He says that when we pray, we should pray not to the God that we think we know, but to the God who really is. And so we're always, we're always kind of saying, okay, God, this is what I think you're like. This is who I think you are. But God, I know I'm wrong because I know I don't know you as I don't know you fully. So God, let me pray to you, the real you, the one that I that I know but don't know, you know, the, the, the unknown God, right? You know, the, and, and yet the God who's really, the one who's really close to me, you see. But that's just like Edwin was saying. That's, that's how we, like, all right, think about me and my son here, Daniel. I don't know Daniel. I mean, I have a picture in my mind of what he's like. But when I think about it, I think, wow, I don't really know a lot of things about it. I don't know how he responds or what he's thinking or, you know, I don't know how he feels a lot of times. I'm thinking, you know, I can guess, but, and I've known him all his life, you know, literally. So you see, and that's always how we are with, with one another. And so how much more with God? And the point though, is that relationships are, uh, uh, go, are time bound. So they, they extend through time and time Besides time being there so that everything doesn't happen at once, uh, the time is allows things to change and to grow and 
Man, this is a tough audience. They didn't laugh. Anyway, uh, you didn't get my joke. Okay. Uh, so, so, bye. Bye. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so relationships grow over time. And, and, and so, again, you know, it's like, it's like uh, John, First uh, John, says that, um, talking about uh, he who fears is not yet perfected in love, uh, for fear has to do with punishment. And then he says, perfect love casts out fear. So he talks about us being in a position where we're afraid of God because we're not sure what God's going to do to us, you know. After all, as Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, right? What is he going to do to me? Is he going to make me go be a missionary in Bora Bora or somewhere, you know? Uh, is he going to send me to some place where, where I'll go and get, get speared by some aborigines or like the guys who went to Ecuador? Uh, is that the story of my life? You know, I mean, I don't know. What is God going to do to me, right? Um, but, you know, as we get to know him better, we start to realize it's okay because he, has our, he loves us and has our best interests at, par- at heart. Perfect love understanding God's love and and loving him on our end, we start to see that he'll never do it. I mean, especially when we look at the cross, right? You look at the cross and you think to yourself, would someone who died on the cross for me ever do anything to hurt me, right? Think about that. Jesus died on the cross and he was God's heart visible, you know? And, and given that, how could we ever think he would ever do anything against us? And the Bible says that in several places. What I would like us to do, if, I don't know what time it is, let me see. In, okay, this is good. Kind of the home stretch here. Um, uh, anybody, if you have, this is not, this is not gonna be Q&A right now, but if you have questions, feel free to interrupt. Okay, feel free to you know flag us down. But what I wanted, what I would like us to do here is to describe, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And I'll sort of describe what I do, but you go first. That was a very vague question. Yes. What do you do? <laughs> you mean well, in re- my relationship with God? Yes, yes, okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, what do I do? Okay, let me see. It's really hard to describe. Yeah. Um, I would say that. If I were to describe it, I would say that I generally have in the back of my mind this feeling that God is part of every thought that I have. That means <laughs> that um, when I talk to myself in my mind, even though I realize I'm not talking to God a lot of the time, I'm very aware that he's listening to me anyway. Uh, I think that I'm a very internal person in general. So I do, I have a lot, I I talk to myself a lot basically in my head. And so I sometimes count that as conversing with God, even though I know sometimes it's not because I'm not talking to him. And weirdly, sometimes when I think of that, then I do talk to him. (laughs) But, But it's this overarching feeling of like, oh yeah, he's always around internally. And then obviously also throughout my day. 
the more explicit times I would say that I interact with God are usually when I'm exercising, I would say. So it's like I would go on these like longer-ish runs and things like that. And it's usually a space where I'm trying to kind of dump everything out of my brain. So for parts of that run, it's just, it's just vomit <laughs> in my mind a little bit. Like I'm just getting stuff out. But there are definitely parts, because it's long, where there's more clarity and I talk to God. And I, when I say that, I mean, my, in my mind, I'm saying things to God directly. But then also uh, there's a process of, I, I call it listening, I guess. And all I mean by that also is that I either, a thought comes to mind that I, by faith, believe is from God, or I imagine to some degree what he says or what the Bible might say about whatever it is I am talking to him about. So, uh, so I could be talking to him about how I felt about my day or a plan that I have for my debate team or whatever. And then I'll imagine, you could say, a response. And maybe it's from the Bible, maybe it's not. Maybe it's directly from the Bible, maybe it's not. But it could just be like God telling me that he's proud of me or God saying that I'm his son, which I, you know, all these things I believe are true. Whether God is saying it to me in that moment or not, I take by faith. So uh, that's kind of my conversational kind of internal dialogue or experience with God. Um, in moments and in times that this, this grows, I, I don't know. So like it pushes sometimes, so like it'll change. Um, so more recently, in part because of discussions we've had, in part because of stuff that I've been reading or learning, I guess, too, is like, oh, I feel like God is asking me to pray to him more about stuff, just like about other people in my life, things that are going on, and be more explicit about asking for things because he's, I feel like also God is showing me that I'm a person who doesn't usually depend on people, and therefore I don't ask for things. I don't ask for things for other people. I don't ask for things to God, even. And he's like, I should just do that more. <laughs> um, just because, I don't know, because it's a sign of intimacy. And I am, I, I feel close to him, so why not? So, uh, you know, so things like that, where there are shifts or changes in what we're doing together, what we're talking about. Um, and in general, I guess I would say that, yeah, I, I ask him or talk to him about a lot of stuff, just like any decision I have to make, any thing I have to do, like, I don't know, different parts of my life. There's a lot of different parts of my life. A lot of times um, you could say I'll pray through them, but I guess I just mean I'll discuss them. <laughs> like I'll talk about Asher with God and be like, how do you see Asher? <laughs> I see these things, you know, stuff like that. And uh, every now and then, you know, um, yeah, I think that's what it tangibly looks like in my head <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, fact that you kind of think think with God, or as you're doing your sort of internal self-talk, you might say, you you kind of direct it toward God. And so, if, am I? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, it's funny because I found found myself doing that, you know, most of my life as a Christian, and I know other people who who also do that. As you know, that's just kind of you might say that's walking with God. You know that that um, having that running dialogue with God, rather than just kind of you know churning on yourself, and and you know that, that one thing I've noticed is when I'm churning on myself, 
that'll often be very bitter and angry and you know because I'll be obsessed by something you know something another person has done or whatever and what I found over the years you know not that this is something that you just do but over the years I found that directing well well one of the things I found is if I have a problem with a person um, my first impulse, okay, I'm going to pray about it with God. I'm going to pray about it to God. But before I pray about it to God, I want to make, I want to tidy it up. I want to pretty it up so I can say, okay, God, I'm basically not angry about this anymore, but, you know, and yeah, the fact is what I've really done is shove it down really hard so I can come before God looking halfway decent, right? But, but that's not, that's the wrong way to go about it because you're trying to pretend before God because you know you're not supposed to be angry or, you know, you know you're not supposed to be mad at a particular individual. You know you're supposed to forgive, et cetera, et cetera, right? So if you have a problem, you're going to try to do all that before you pray about it, before you bring it before God. Wrong. You know, it's kind of like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm not dirty before I take a shower. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You come to God and confess to be cleansed, right? You bring these things to God. You lay them before God. You, you're honest before God. I, as I, I always like to talk about the prayer in Jonah chapter 4, which I call the second worst prayer in the Bible. You've heard, have you heard me say that before? Some of you have. Anyway, I call that the second worst prayer in the Bible because Jonah really lets God have it, you know? I'm so mad. I'm angry enough to die, you know? And God says, Jonah, Jonah, is it a good idea to get so angry? Yes, yes, angry enough to die. Kill me now, Lord, you know. And, and, and you know, that's the one. Jonah made two prayers in that, in Jonah. The first one, God just ignored, you know. He, he's caught there in the fish. This is, by the way, Jonah is a fish story, in case you were wondering. It's, it's supposed to be funny and sarcastic and ironic. And, and, and I believe Jonah wrote it and told it on himself. But anyway... So the first prayer is kind of a cut and paste job from the psalm. Sounds really nice. You can make worship songs out of it or something, you know. But, but God didn't even talk to Jonah after that. He talked to the fish, you know. And he made the fish vomit Jonah out, which the, the vocabulary there is rather striking, you know. Then after Jonah is, is, goes and tells God what he's really thinking... I knew you were. I knew you were a softy. I knew that you don't know how to run the universe right. You let all these evil people go, and you don't wipe them out like you're supposed to. And after after he says all that to God, what it, what happens? Well, the end of the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah ends with God explaining Himself. He says, Jonah, you know, you cared about this plant that grew up in overnight and died overnight, or you know. And shouldn't I care about 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left and all the cattle? I mean, shouldn't I care? So it even ends with a question. God, so, so, you know, when Jonah really says what he's thinking, then God responds and, and explains himself and even kind of leaves the ball in Jonah's court, you know? And, and so... Um, this is the way we interact with God. You bring yourself to God and lay yourself in front. You say, God, here I am. What you see is what you got, you know? And if you don't like it, where else am I going to go, right? You know, this is who I am. This is what I am. And, and 
I really mean it. This is what you do. And if you keep doing this for the long haul, I mean, I, I was amazed when I, when I sort of caught myself. I had an issue with a friend of mine. Um, my, this friend is very uh, blunt and directive. And so uh, uh, I was just getting really mad at him just because he was just saying a lot of stuff that was, I found hurtful. So I was trying to get myself all squared away before I could pray to God about it. And I said, why am I doing that? You know, I'm not fooling anybody. So I just told God exactly what I was feeling about this person. And, and it was really funny because it's like things just got better. I mean, like, again, this is one of those, I'm sorry, Edwina, you know, it's kind of, I pray for parking spaces, Edwin, you know, that's the old joke, right? So, but anyway, uh, um, and, and I'm not making, I really, I, I agree with the things you say. I just, I just, anyway, but um, uh, I just found that, you know, God answers these kind of prayers because he wants us to be real before him. And so that, that. I mean, and we never are very real, are we? You know, we fool ourselves, we fool other people, you know. But, you know, the idea is the less you fool God, you know, the better you, better off you are. Because after all, if it's God, I mean, he kind of already knows it. And if we're, we can't be real before God, then who are we ever going to be real before, you know? So come before God with your, your weakness. Come before God with your, your lack. Come before God with, uh, with you know, your brokenness. Because that's the best place to go. He says, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. So, um, okay, so there's that. And I think, I think this really what we're trying to cultivate, if you want to call it that, is this notion of walking with God. You know, the Bible talks about walking with God, and you got to be careful if you walk with God, because like Enoch, Enoch walked with God and he was gone, you know, so actually he got to skip a lot of, he got to skip, it's like he skipped a grave, right, you know, he went from this life to heaven directly, do not pass death, you know, anyway, he got to go directly, so it's kind of nice, but anyway, walk with God, that's what God is trying to cultivate, walk with God, walk in the spirit, you know, cultivate a life that's lived in the presence of God. Now, that's, if you don't, if you don't do that, you know, you, you think, oh, no, I'm not cultivating a life lived in the presence of God. God's going to hate me. No, no. All, we want to look at everything that God lays out in the Bible. We've got to stop seeing the Bible as a rule book to beat people over the head with. Okay? The way to understand the Word of God the word of God is opportunity and freedom. When God says, love your enemies, you say, wait a minute. You mean I could love my enemies and get away with it? If I love my enemies, they're going to walk all over me or they're going to wipe me out. I can't love my enemies. God says, oh, yeah, why don't you give it a try? You might be surprised, you know. So you give it a try and, well, you get, you get whacked upside the head or whatever. Or you give it a try and something good happens, you know, every now and then. You'll, you know, if you, if you give the word of God a try, you'd be surprised. Stuff will happen, you know. Uh, or, or if you're told to rejoice always, you know, and people say, well, that's a commandment. No, it's an opportunity. You can live a life characterized by joy. 
What, how, how? Well, why not try to find out? What is God saying when he says to rejoice always, you know? Isn't that something you would love to, to, to experience? To go through life, to have, you know, to be in a situation where someone's yelling at you and to realize, you know, God's with me right now. God sees this, you know? And then you find that soft answer that turns away wrath, or you just kind of write it out, you know? All of these kinds of things. The Bible is there. The Word of God is there as, as to open up possibilities that weren't there before, you know? And so we start to see our lives in the light of this, this eternal light. See, this is why we read the Bible. This is why we try to get the Bible in our heads. And I'm not... Uh, you know, in you know, in Awana, they all they have the kids memorize Bible verses and they give them rewards and all that. I don't know. You can do that if you want, but my pro the only problem. So this is one of the things that uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, but I guess I don't know if we will. But the whole idea of spiritual practices, you know, to me, uh, things like spiritual spiritual disciplines and and such, I, I find it uh, very problematic because. It's kind of like, okay, I, I want to grow my relationship with God, so I'll do some practices that will kind of flex my spiritual muscles, and then I'll go talk to God. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's kind of like rather than playing, rather than shoot, shooting baskets or something. I don't know. I can't think of good examples, but the point is we're focusing, we're not focusing on God, we're focusing on the practice. That's the danger, right? You do these daily things or you, you know, you have like the, anyway, you, you do the spiritual discipline. So, but, so for example, um, um, you know, you, you see the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, uh, kindness, faithfulness, meekness, self-ownership or self-control. One of them in there is kindness or, or goodness. Goodness or kindness, same word. Okay, that's a spiritual, that's a fruit of the Spirit. But you, you want to go with these fruits of the Spirit. So let's say kindness. What is kindness or goodness? It means pleasing somebody else, okay? Pleasing somebody else. So think to yourself, okay, I want to do a spiritual discipline. Okay, I'm going to try kindness. So I'm going to be kind to somebody, you know? I'm going to see somebody else's, what would make somebody else happy, you know? Just try it, just for the fun of it. You know, it's like, how many of you ever read Stargirl, the book Stargirl? Okay. And remember, she would go and she'd do these, these uh, play, she'd find out somebody's birthday who didn't know her, and she'd play her ukulele and sing happy birthday in the cafeteria. And she'd do all these random acts of kindness. You know, that's a great book. It's actually a Christian fable. I, do, you, do you agree with me? At the end, she kind of she kind of gets crucified, and then she kind of rises from the dead, symbolically, right? You know, you know what I'm, t I don't know, anyway. But, but I, I, I just love these, these stories that are actually kind of accidental Christian stories. We, we talked about that before, but, all right, all right. So find something, you know, it's like make, be a positive thing in the world. You know, instead of, you know, say to, you, say to God, Okay, God, let's do something positive today. Together. You and just you and me, God. Let's go do something positive. You know, I don't know. And maybe you can't think of anything, maybe nothing happens. 
and yet maybe something does happen, you know? In other words, look at your life as an adventure that you're going on with God. I mean, really, it's not easy, but, you know, treat it not as a humdrum, day-to-day droning on, but rather, what can we, you know, what can we do today to, to really make the light of Christ shine, you know? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not always very good at this, but it's always kind of rattling around the back of my mind. So, so have the Bible rattling around in your brain so that every now and then it'll just pop out in, in, a, in an appropriate situation. So that means you have to read it or hear it. Actually, the Word of God is meant to be heard. So if you can listen to it on audio tape or, or something like that while you're driving or whatever, it's a good thing. Though, though that takes getting used to. You might fall asleep. So, um, you know, it's hard to listen at first. But try something like that. Um, you could read it if that's the best, you, you know, the best way for you to do it. Don't, don't take it like, Okay, it's a duty. I got to read so much. I got to read the Bible for half an hour today. Oh, I missed. God's mad at me. No, if you have that attitude, better not to do it. I mean, no, that's not that. I don't know. I don't know really what to say. But if it puts a barrier between you and God, get it out of the way. God just wants to be there with you, you know? Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, everyone's a little different. So everyone's going to engage. God's very creative and he's very, um, He's very diverse. So he'll relate to each person differently. So like how he relates to me, is not going to be how he relates to everybody. Um, and so I can imagine, for example, a person, you know, especially someone who's very extroverted or very um, outward, because I'm very inward. Um, you know, like they would see like all their interactions with everybody <laughs> as, being a, as being moments and times that they hear from God, that they talk with God, that they engage with him, you know? And I think that's, that's yeah, like that's, that's how they experience God. It's like through the body and it's through um, the people they meet and, and their interactions with them. You know, um, it, it's, it's a lot of, I think that it's a lot of trial and error, so to speak. Like, I think that's the bottom line in some sense. Like you try different things. Some things work, some things don't. Some things you think were God, they're not God. You know, I don't know. You, you just, you kind of figure it out over time. And that's like a real relationship, right? Like if you've done some dating or if you've like, you know, been in a relationship, that's kind of what it is. You know, you try some things, some things don't work. You miscommunicate, you, you hear the wrong thing. Um, but at least in a committed relationship, you know, you keep, you keep at it, right? You keep growing, you keep learning. Uh, and with each mistake, you learn more, you know, about yourself, about God. Um, and then eventually you figure out what, what it feels like for you to walk by the spirit, what it feels like for you to walk with God through everything. And so it just looks different for everyone. That's why it's, it's hard to pinpoint. It's hard to like, you don't give, there's no rule book or there's no like five step, whatever, which what most people wish (laughs) in some (laughs) sense, like to just be told what to do. But, um, you know, that's just not how relationships are. Right. Like that's just not the reality of any meaningful, healthy relationship. So, yeah. Well, the, the one, a couple more things. Um, one is the Hebrews verse that says in order, uh, he who would draw near to God must believe that he is, that God exists and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so the idea being, um, you know, I, I kind of like to ask the question, how much time are you willing to waste to find out if God will reward you for seeking him? You know, are you willing to hazard a year of your life? Just to say, okay, this year, 
I'm going to really try to find out if God will reward someone who seeks him. And then just blow it away that whole year, you know. Okay, you live your life, but just think, okay, every, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do specific things, specific ways to seek God. You know, I really want to know, does, does he really do that? Or, you know, I mean, okay, if, if it, nothing happens, if God doesn't show up, so to speak, well, it's a year of my life wasted, but, you know, I probably waste that amount of time watching television or something, right? You know, so it's not like I lost that much, right? Um, and yet if you, and then you can also win big time, right? You know, if you find out, well, God does show up, then you, then you start to, you know, have this interactive relationship. The other thing, the other part is, um, so I'm thinking about the uh, James where it says, um, if you, if you seek, if you lack wisdom, ask. And again, it says, God gives freely without reproaching. So, you know, if, if you ask God for something, he's not going to scold you. He's just going to give it to you. But, but he says you must ask uh, without doubting. And you might say, well, okay, that just makes it, that's just another kind of caveat, right? What are that? Caveats, quid pro quos, provisos. You remember that part from Aladdin? Anyway, uh, <laughs> these things just pop into my mind, you know. So this is why I should read the Bible more because maybe the Bible will pop into my mind more. But anyway, so the idea is you must um, uh, ask without doubting. What does that mean? I, I thought about that for a long time. I thought, well, you got to believe that God is going to do it or something like that. But that's not what that means. What that means is if you ask God for wisdom, if you come before God and you're asking, you're asking him for, say, wisdom, um, what if you get it? What are you going to do if you get it? I, as a pastor, have many a time been asked by somebody, what should I do in this situation? And I always kind of dread it. Well, I, I, I actually, I like it because it means, oh, yeah, I get to tell it, you know. But then the thing about that is then you tell them and they go do something entirely different you know <laughs> i've had that happen so here so okay i'm just human right so maybe they were that was the right thing to do i don't know but but what about god you come to before god and you'll be you will be amazed again you know that you will get wisdom from god but the question is what are you going to do about it See, if you have asked, thinking, okay, I'll see what God has to say about it, and then I'll think about it, if I'm going to do what God wants me to do, or I'm going to do something else, what I want to do. Well, don't do that, okay? You might as well not ask, because, you know, what you're, what you're kind of, well, I, I, I say don't do that. What I'm saying, if you're going to ask God for wisdom, you should have a heart that says, if God shows me what to do, I will do it. Otherwise, I shouldn't go seeking wisdom from God if I'm not going to do it. You see, do you trust God enough to do the thing that he shows you to do? You see, so how much do you trust God? So this is an issue of faith. Okay. Um, faith is the, you might say, the organ of spiritual eyesight. Faith lets us see the invisible world. Okay. So when we, um, when we talk to God, um, it's only as we trust him and as we expect him to kind of act in our lives, then we'll see it. If we don't trust him, 
if we don't expect him to do anything, um, nothing will happen. Or we won't, sorry, we will, things will happen. We just won't see it. I mean, one of the things I've noticed again and again is um, I, I have prayed for things and, they, and something has happened as a result. And when I tell people, friends of mine that don't believe, they'll say, oh, wow, you were lucky, you know. Uh, I had one guy, I actually, like I said, I pray for parking spaces. And one time I prayed for a parking space and it was just amazing the way God answered because we would have been late to something, you know, it would have been really a mess. But my wife and I, we prayed for a parking space and, and got it. And I told a friend of mine and he said, oh, you have good parking karma, you know, <laughs> what the heck is that? Yeah, we, in other words, God gave us, you know, you see. And, and so, but the question is, do you see God in your daily life? Do you look for God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who really want God in their lives, who really, you know, that's something they really want. They're really seeking. They're really looking for God. Then they'll, you'll find him, Okay. So I, I, I guess for me, one question would be, um, okay, like, okay, if I'm like a pastor, hypothetically. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a very <laughs> improbable <laughs> hypothetical, yeah. You're a counselor, you're, you're someone yeah. who wants to help someone who has some kind of dysfunction when it comes to God. Um, how would you go about helping them with that dysfunction? And then is there like a targeted approach so, for example, is it possible to take specific like dysfunctions and apply specific truth to that to them in a way that would be helpful? Do you know what I mean? Or, or, yeah. or do you just kind of say like, this is something that you'll work out with God over time? And probably both things are true, but you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah. And then a, a side question would be like, how have you guys experienced overcoming certain hangups about your perception of God? Yeah. And what what, were, what was the story behind that? Rovers. Okay, well, <laughs> if you have okay, something to sure. say, go ahead. Yeah, um, normally my answer to that question is I don't know, because <laughs> I feel like the hardest thing for me is I don't know how to lead someone else to it. Like, I know how I found it, so to speak, but, like, I do think it's really hard to know, like, how do you get a person there? Because everybody has um, their own stuff, you know? That said... Um, the, the few experiences where I've seen or where I've been a part of something that quote unquote has worked or seems to work or helped, um, I, I think that it kind of depends on your relationship with the person. But if you are close enough, like you're a pastor and they seem to be open to you, like you, you have a relationship with that person. I do think that basically what we're talking about is discipleship, essentially, um, that you have a, a kind of a long term. like so. Rather than thinking of it as, oh, this is the truth you need, let me tell you the truth, and then once they learn the truth, they're good. Like, I think of it more as like, they're gonna struggle with this for maybe all of their Christian life. <laughs> I get X number of years with them, however long that is, that they allow for me to walk with them through that. So during that time, uh, what truth can I um, disciple them in? And so for me, the experience that I can think of that's, that has gone well is actually with my sister because she had a lot of really dysfunctional stuff 
her, her personal past, but also churches that she went to. And then she got to a breaking point, essentially. And then, you know, she, she talked to me about it. And then basically I, I offered to, like, do Bible study with her. And so we've been doing that once a week for over two years now. And most of the material we use basically is DDC material. So it's just, it's the Bible, it's the gospel centrally. And, and we talk through how, who God really is as the Bible says he is and what, how that applies or, you know, she'll often share right from her life or from what's happening in her life specifically, or from her past experiences, how that, um, is different or something like that. Right. And so I've, I don't think, you know, like, like I said, I, I can see that she still struggles with certain things. Like I can still see there are moments in, especially based on what happens in her life where the thoughts keep coming back and it's, it's a dysfunctional view of God. But now I can tell she's also aware of it. Like she'll say, oh yeah, I know that this is false, but this is how I feel. Right. And so it's like, I know that that in some ways might always be her struggle, but there's some truth and I can tell that there's some movement in that way where she can approach God a little bit differently, or at least she can identify. And a lot of, a lot of what we talk about is not like she's better in quotes in any way, shape or form. It's all just like, Hey, now you at least know the truth <laughs> because of what the Bible says. Right. And I think like, I think a lot of it is just, we, we've shared our lives over the, the last few years and then we talk through it from the Bible. Um, I don't know if it's like one-to-one, -one, but I, I do think it's a, it's a larger thing because usually for most people, the dysfunction runs really deep and is really multi, like, diverse. <laughs> and like, it comes out in so many different ways. And so, um, but I do think it's some combination of the truth and then also the relationship you have with them, you know? Yeah, yeah I, had, I had an interesting experience when I went to seminary. Uh, I took a class called Learning to Love God and Others. And it was done by David Ekman. Some of you have probably heard of David Ekman. And the thing that I realized from this class was that I had had this long-standing view that God, that there was something fundamentally wrong with me, and I was always going to be a failure. Things were always going to go wrong. Um, God, quote-unquote, loved me. But that was just a sort of theological construct. He didn't particularly like me. He, he wouldn't particularly want to hang out with me, so like, say, on a Saturday afternoon, you know. Uh, and so I was kind of thinking, you know, all right, basically I'll try things, but they'll all fail, you know. And this is, you know, lots of stuff from my upbringing and things like that, you know. And it was all kind of wrong because I had, may have had a lot of success and a lot of things had gone right in my life because of God, right? But I had this th feeling that that God was just going to make me fail or, or not so much that, but that I was doomed to fail. And God was just going to kind of, you know, get me through, but not much more than that. Kind of a marg uh, minimalist God. <laughs> <laughs> you might say. And so one of the things I learned from this class was that God had a, the way David Ekman put it, God has a delighted passion for us. Uh, and what that means is, I mean, the Bible talks about this in many ways. Like, like when a sinner repents, there is celebration and there's joy in heaven. Uh, the 99, right? There's a, the, the 99 sheep, the shepherd will leave the 99 and go after that one sheep that's lost. 
that's you and me or you or me, right? That we're out there. God cares about the individual. You know, God loves the individual. And like I was sharing earlier, um, God, uh, the fact that we have trusted and believed in God, God just really likes that. He really thinks that's great. So anyway, I, I start to realize that God loves me. Yeah, true. But God loves me, really loves me, you know. And now that didn't change everything like overnight or anything. But I started to and, 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 and some things still went wrong and I still ended up going through some really tough times. But I started to see things from the perspective that God was fundamentally on my side. Before that, I was kind of feeling like God tolerated me because he kind of had to, but he was running a pretty tight ship, and if I messed up in any way, he was going to let me have it. But um, the, the feeling I got after that, the, the sense I had after that was God, God was really trying to make my life wonderful. God was plant, plotting. He was just, he was scheming behind the scenes to make my life wonderful. The point is that that's what we want to do for people is to show them that. However, whatever way, and and I had a friend of mine um, tell me um, somebody, uh, a young lady, told me um, some uh, a year or so ago that she had had learned from she, she was hearing somebody talk about god and she he was talking in kind of negative terms like not so much negative but that i don't know that god was kind of a hard master so to speak and she says i couldn't understand why he would talk like that and then i thought about it and i thought well that's because Every time I've talked to you, you've always talked about God as someone who desperately loves me, who, who loves me unshakably. And, and, you know, and that understanding that that's how God views each one of us. And so what I'm trying to say is whatever, whatever I did, she at least got the idea that God loved her unshakably and she was going to go forward on that basis, you know. Well, that's what we're trying to do with people. That's what, we, you know, every one of you, I hope that, you know, just from listening to what we've been saying tonight, that you guys will hear that God wants a relationship with you and he wants to be with you, he, you know, and, and be closer to you than anybody, you know, and it's available, you see. So that's what we're trying to do. And like Edwin said, it's discipleship. It's something you learn. You learn from Jesus that that's what Jesus wants. You look like you have a question. No pressure. No? <laughs> yeah, I do have a question. Okay. <laughs> um, you slipped it out. Sorry. Yeah. It's a little bit but, Okay, so this kind of goes back to the whole like performance versus partnership conversation that was happening earlier. Um, I was wondering, like, throughout this entire session, it seems that spirituality, Christian spirituality, it's an individualistic journey, right? It's a partnership. So where, what is the role that church and the community plays within your spiritual journey? I, I was just curious about that. Actually, we're going to do uh, oh, a, a number of sessions about that. So, but briefly, um, your home is, your eternal home is the body. 
You know, your destiny is to be most yourself when you're most in the body, so to speak. Uh, did, I always like to use the example of uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There's this scene there where the, that priest tears the heart out of that guy, right? And it's beating out there, right? Well, imagine that you're a heart, okay? And if you're a heart and you're out there all by yourself beating, well, you're not going to survive long. And the body isn't going to survive very well without you, right? You see, so being the best possible heart, being what God has meant you, has, de has designed you to be and intended you to be, the best, the best you can be is to be that heart in the body, you see. And so all of the spirituality stuff, you're, you're totally right. Um, we find its culmination uh, in, in, in our unity with one another, in our, uh, but so the interesting thing about the body is that it is the ultimate in individuality and the ultimate in unity. You have both going on. It says that you are members of the body and, or no, you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, so you have the, co the corporate, the body, but the individuality, you have to be who you are, who God meant you to be, to be a good heart for the body. You know, you see, so there is that whole, your own individual spiritual development and so on and so forth um, is directed toward the body, right? Toward loving the body and being a, a great part of the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's where we're headed. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Thanks for the question. <laughs> Was that a good answer, Edwin? You're okay with that? <laughs> Seems good to me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Curious how right. you two would um, respond to people who approach you with saying, "Why should I? Uh, what makes what makes the validity of the Bible God's word?" Uh -huh. For people who approach you for more like a this like man-made compilation scriptures and counselor councils who are choosing to be that's um I can answer. Go ahead. I have a straight answer because I'm a very logical person. So when I doubted God, the the one thing that kept me coming back to him was that I, I just I believe evidentially and using your brain and using all sources of academic evidence out there from non-biased impartisan sources that the most logical conclusion anyone can come to is that Jesus was God. <laughs> and I believe that because I, I don't think there's, there are reasonable alternatives and, and yes, it's still throwing a dart at a board that's a thousand miles away, but it's still the highest probability chance, in my opinion. <laughs> and to that answer, I would say, I would focus the conversation because it's too hard to go through every single thing. There's like so much out there that we could talk about. That's probably what Fred was, <laughs> you know, hesitating. And, I, and that's true. There's like way too much out there. Like we could talk about the veracity of the Bible and how it compares to other literary sources and so on and so forth. But I think ultimately it comes down to one thing and the Bible speaks to this, which is it comes down to the resurrection of Christ, right? Like the early church 
that's what Paul literally says. He says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we do all this for nothing. And so basically he announced to the people at that time, especially enemies of Christians, that all you needed to do to prove, to, to stop the Christian revolution was to show us Jesus's body. And if you did that, none of us would be here. And basically nobody could do that. <laughs> and tons of eyewitnesses claim that Jesus resurrected or they saw him after he was buried and dead for three days. And for some reason, the Romans, the Jews, none of them could just be like, yo, there's Jesus right there. His body's right there. What are you, all you crazy people saying that you saw him alive? He's literally right there. <laughs> and then the whole thing would have stopped. So to me, it, I mean, there's a couple things that you could add on to this, like the fact that, oh, no, no one else really claims to be God and so on and so forth. Like, but I think that you investigate the person of Jesus and specifically the resurrection. And um, I think that you can find, again, you don't even have to believe, you don't have to believe the Bible, in other words, is what, what I'm trying to say. His historical record, prison record, whatever, you can do all that and look into was how easy or hard would it be to prove and why, why did so many people believe Jesus resurrected? You know, what was going on there? There's just some logical stuff too, because Paul is a great example of this, right? Because Paul literally was going around killing Christians and then he claimed he saw Jesus and then he flipped sides. Like, so he's the one that has zero motivation. He has no, there's no reason why he would lie. Maybe everyone else is like a conspiracy theory. Like we're all willing to literally die <laughs> uh, a crucifix, shin death upside down or whatever, right? Like crazy deaths. We're all willing to do it for a lie. Okay. These people are crazy, but Paul literally has no, he has no motivation to flip sides. And so he says he saw Jesus and then he somehow flips sides. So like, I just think that if we just go back to the moment of resurrection, it's really difficult. And I don't find any alternative, a reasonable alternative in human history that comes anywhere close to explaining anything. And yeah, okay, I could be an atheist or whatever. I could go down that route. But again, I, it's that, that's, that's now about creationism and other things. And, but to me, it's like if I throw the dart, I, I believe everyone's forced to throw the dart. In other words, all, all of us have to decide what we think happened and what we think life is about. So everyone throws a dart. And it's just a question of what, what, what are you throwing at? What do you think are the highest odds? So yeah, you can believe the highest odds are, it's just random. That's cool. I, I just think there's too much evidence to reject that. I'd reject that view because I think there's too much evidence that there's another alternative that's, the, that's more plausible. Right? But I admit, we're all throwing darts really far away. But the thing is, once I believe, once I, once I come to that conclusion, then I have to believe everything Jesus says because <laughs> he's God. So then I go the whole, whole way, right? Um, but that, that's, that's how I'd answer it. But it obviously is a huge question, right? So, but that's how I, I personally approach it. Yeah. I basically agree with what Edwin said. I, I actually have spent a fair amount of time looking into that question, and um, I kind of did a, a book on the book of John, and um, that was one of the questions I was, I was looking at the book of John and asking, what was it? And um, so I found a book that talked about, uh, the. it was called The Eye of the Beholder, which was surveying the evidence that John was actually an eyewitness account. Uh, there are a couple of books I looked into uh, surveying the evidence that somebody, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, John that the son of, Z son of Zebedee, uh, wrote 
the book of John from the experiences he had going around with Jesus. And um, you know, there's a lot of argument for it. There's some, the problem, what was interesting was the arguments against it really, really sucked. I mean, they would come up with all these weird and crazy ideas to try to explain or claim that John wasn't really there or something like that. When if you just look at the character of what he wrote, you know, the kind of things he described, you know, the, the little details he puts in, uh, all of these things, you say, he was standing right there. You know, it was obvious because, you know, he saw it. He saw what happened. And that's why some of the details he put in, they, the only reason that they're there is because that's what he saw. You know, they don't have any spiritual significance or or whatever. It's eyewitness. You just write, this is, this is the way it was, you know. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to give examples. We could be here all night. But you see, so for me, that one particular book, uh, I spent a lot of time looking into it and working on it. And I think, you know, John wrote it, you know, and he wrote, wrote it from stuff he saw. And uh, so anyway, and if you believe that John wrote what he saw, then you're pretty much stuck with the fact that he saw Jesus rise from the dead among other things, you know. So these are the kind, so you can, you can talk about things from a very, in a very general way, like the reliability of the Bible. But for me, you know, you work on, you go for specifics and you think about, about why should we, how do we know that there was a Jesus and how do we know what he said and what he did? And then you start exploring that question and you're, you have to go to the documents, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, and then you start asking yourself, what, what are they like? Are they, do they sound real? Like there's an example of the book of, of Mark where, uh, where Mark describes this young guy who, um, um, when they were arresting Jesus, they tried to grab hold of him, but his tunic he he basically was wearing a tunic and they grabbed the tunic and he shed the tunic and ran away naked and you say to yourself who was that you know well i think it was mark you know mark is describing something that happened to him there because you know it just makes sense he was a young guy you know you see so you you have that little detail because that's the only thing that's the only mention that's made of that in the book of Mark, only in the book of Mark, that they tried to arrest this guy and he let him get his clothes and ran off naked. All right, end of story. I mean, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? So where did that detail come from, you know? You see, did somebody make it up? You don't make up stuff like that, you know? I mean, if you're writing a novel, but they didn't write novels back in that day. Novels are a modern invention, you know? So anyway, you could go on and on about this kind of stuff, but I think eventually you, you come down to the Gospels, the person of Jesus, and then it kind of spreads out from there. That's the way I look at it. Because that's what it's all about, Jesus. 